Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Um, visual listeners, you get a little sneak peek of Willoughby, who is biting me and does not want to be on my lap. Bye. Um, what's up? This is the first episode I am recording in 2021. Um, still feels weird to say that. I was about to say 2020. It's not 2020 anymore. Um, I definitely don't believe in this whole, like, new year, new me bullshit. I mean, it's like, okay, February 1st started on Friday, last Friday, and it's like, February, January 1st started last Friday, and I'm like, I don't feel any different. Um, I did, though, pull out a nice top for you guys. I basically have just, like, been wearing graphic tees and sweatpants and um, biker shorts when it's warmer um, or workout clothes if I go on like a hike or something. And this one I totally forgot I had. I think it's from Madewell. I got it a year or two ago. Um, and I'm pulling it out just for you guys. I was maybe going to do like a big oversized sweater that I was just wearing. Sorry, I have like a cat hair in my eye. Um, and I'm just going to ruin the makeup that I also specifically put on for you guys. Um, but yes, it's also, it's, you know, it's already covered a little bit in cat fur. Technical difficulties, stand by. Hopefully, that's better. Um, but we have been reading. We have been here. What's, what's new? Um, like I said, first episode recorded of the new year, but there's already been an episode out that was recorded last weekend. Um, We've just been taking it easy. I mean, Los Angeles is the epicenter of the coronavirus, so there's definitely no need or reason to go out and see anybody or do anything besides go to the grocery stores or socially distanced hikes or, you know, something of that ilk. Um, and been really into Cobra Kai lately um, for a little TV media corner before we get started. Um, if you're not familiar with Cobra Kai, it is the uh, continuation of the story of the Karate Kid series um, with Johnny and Danny. Johnny is uh, William Zabka or Billy Zabka and he's such a total dreamboat. Like I'm not usually into blondes. I've definitely always gone for the brunettes. Um, but something about Johnny and Billy, even Billy, he's like in his 50s now because the, so Cobra Kai is um, Johnny and Billy or Danny who's played by Ralph Macchio, you know, the classic, um, who's also was like 22 in the filming of that movie and definitely looks like 16. And I know that that's what the directors wanted, but I just found that out because I just rewatched it um, with Jason, who had never seen it. And I was like, you know, he does look very young. And then I read the trivia and I was like, he was 22 because he does not look 22. But it's, you know, a rare shift from the 22-year-olds who look 22 and not 16. Um so I've been really into that. This third season just dropped Friday, and I somehow managed to watch season one and two in like two or three days over the course of the New Year. So I'm already on season three. Um, but they just like hit that tone so well. Like it definitely has that sort of 80s nostalgia dad show with like Johnny and Danny all grown up. Um, but they are like, you know, grown adults with families and problems, and then their kids. Um, they each kind of start their own karate studio, karate dojo for various reasons, and then how their kids become embroiled in that. And then so it's also kind of got that like teen show drama aspect to it, um, balanced with the more adult themes, balanced with the 80s kitchen nostalgia, but not in like a Stranger Things way, in a much more like tongue in cheek. We recognize that this is a fully ridiculous karate show, but we also keep like the problems and the relationships grounded in I came to love the characters within like the the minute a poison song came on in the first episode I was like all right I'm in um so I've been really enjoying that I'm trying to like milk season three I'm already on episode three of season three and there's 10 each episode is half hour um it's a half hour so I'm trying to like make it last as long as possible but with um it's definitely been lighter on the tv buffet programming schedule so 
I have obviously been reading. Today we're going to talk about not five, but six books, um, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but sometimes I just want to watch TV and never end and like live in the universe of Cobra Kai. And it really makes me regret like not having learned karate or done anything remotely freaking cool like that when I was younger. Not that it's too late, um, but I just feel like, you know, it's... No, it's not too late, but it's, like, to learn karate now is just, like, kind of ugh, the effort and everything. But, like, if I were a kid and it was, like, a grounded, like, after-school activity and, like, got to know a group of people, oh, well, who knows? Maybe my future children will do karate. Anyways, we're not here for karate. We are here for books. So, the first book of the first episode we're recording in 2021, but not the first episode we're putting out in 2021. How's that for an acronym? Oh, my. <laughs> Willoughby is playing with a platypus toy um to the side which i didn't even know he had in here and i love to spoil him and buy him cat toys because they're like usually between three and five dollars which in my opinion is a very reasonable price for something that not only brings me joy and cuteness and like lord knows i don't need another plush and lord knows my cat doesn't need another plush but i can kind of justify it because to see his little face as he's playing with them and they're so cute and they're going to be littered on my floor so i might as well enjoy looking at them so if you hear a rattling sound in the background please excuse willoughby and his platypus toy <laughs> so our first book that we're talking about is the gracier by kim liggett um so this i believe came out in 2019 yeah it came out over a year ago and this is one again as um the library books are still flowing in but definitely slower than they have been um at other points in the podcast season. Also, we're on episode 26, which is freaking amazing. So like, hi, if you've been listening for that long, or if you're new and you just kind of found it, welcome. Feel free to listen to the other episodes. Feel free not to, but there's all sorts of wild shenanigans in uh, the archives of I Like to Read. Um, So the Grace Year came out, yeah, it came out like I guess at this point, two years ago, no, like a little over a year ago, um, I had it on my Kindle meant to read it, just never got around to it and finally did. And boy, am I glad. Um, this is a, technically, I guess it's a young adult novel, but it definitely feels very like gritty and adult. It's not, you know, sometimes it's, we can pigeonhole young adult novels. I'm not going to say too much on them, but they are slightly less literary, slightly more pedantic, still just as fun and no shame because I read them as well, but I enjoy more mature, deeper, thought-provoking content, um, and also for it to be presented in that way, like... So we got the Gracier. Um, so the Gracier, um, our main character, Tierney, so she lives in a dystopian, you know, Handmaid's Tale-esque society um, that also kind of meets the Hunger Games um, and the Wilds. There's definitely a lot of that sort of like what happens with females when we remove them from society. And so this is what happens in the Gracier before women are to be spent, uh, to spend the rest of their lives with their husbands. They are kind of uh, shuffled off into the woods to live for a year in their own society known as the Gracier. Um, and so Tierney is a very strong-willed, um, young woman who doesn't even mean to end up in the, in the, the grace year and does. And so then through that, there's definitely a lot of, uh, witchcraft accusations. Uh, the whole point of the grace year is that these women are always thought there's a, in society, they're thought to have magic. So the grace year is meant to sort of like flush that magic out of them before they can be returned to society. And then throughout the novel, the question of whether or not that magic is real or just sort of the idea planted in society's minds to control young women um, is developed and explored in a fascinating way. Um, there's also, of course, a love story. Um, there's a group of, um, there's men called poachers who often come for the young women, especially if they stray too far from their compound. Um, they can be like hunted and poached and then returned back to their families for some sort of profit. Um, so it's, you know, it's got that like Hunger Games dystopian-esque to it. The world is very 
neatly set up. There's not like too much, you know, you know, there's no like the factions of Divergent and all their different things. I mean, there's just a very clearly developed dystopian futuristic society that hopefully we'll never have to deal with. Um, the rules are very clearly laid out. I won't get into all of it, but everything is just presented very, very nicely where there may be some gray areas and that's what Tierney likes to explore. And she's, you know, our protagonist that we follow as we're trying to figure out, you know, is the magic real or not? Tierney does fall in love with a poacher. I won't give too much away with that, but their love story was also like super, you know, as realistic as a young adult-esque love story can be um and you're just like rooting for her the whole way um i don't know if there's a sequel on the rise i mean i do think this was kind of set up as a more standalone novel um but i wouldn't be disappointed as long as it wasn't like written purely to be milked like hey you wrote this really successful book now you must write another one i mean i'm sure that's how a lot of it goes but i just hope that we don't continue it just for the sake of continuing it i hope that kim liggett has more of an idea of what's in store for these characters and that, you know, she wants to continue this journey or maybe not. Maybe we're going to see more from her, but she's definitely, I think this is her debut novel. So she's um, established herself as one to watch. And, you know, even if this story doesn't continue, I'm excited to see what else comes next. Oh, she has written a bunch of other things. Okay, so this is definitely not her first one, but um, the first one that I've read. And so I'm excited to see what else comes. So next, um, I'm going to cheat because I have two books by the same author, but I read them um, one after another, and they go kind of together, so we're going to cheat, but we'll start with the the one I read first, which is actually the more recent one, which is So Lucky by Dawn O'Porter. Um, this is a British novel um, that I think I saw on just, like, I follow uh, quite a few, like, British lifestyle vloggers and YouTubers who I've been watching for years and years, like, since college. They feel like they're my best friends. Um, and I'm pretty sure that one of them recommended this um, in a favorites or, like, an Instagram story because this is originally um, a UK novel. It takes place in the UK. I'd say at least 20%, if not more, of what I read is, like, strictly UK fiction, whether it's takes place in the UK or is written by a UK author and then, like, published in the US. Um, most of the time, I don't even know that going in. And then I'll either see someone, you know, called Mum or I'll see, you know, Favorite to Color spelled with a U. And then I'm like, Oh, or, you know, there's certain places in England um, at this point that I recognize, even though I've only I've been a couple times when I was younger. Uh, anyways, so um, what is great about both of these novels, but so lucky we'll start with first, is Dawn Porter just explores the um, the lives of everyday women or women who um, we think are one-dimensional and think that we know about and, cert- you know, fit certain stereotypes. And then she likes to break those apart and break their relationships down and then also have them connect in um, really cool ways without it being sort of like it's a mystery novel. And so one woman was the the mistress. And then one – and again, I'm, I'm actually, like, reading one of those now that probably won't make the list. Um, but, you know, see, there's the wife and then there's the scorned woman. And then uh, it's like – it's just these women whose lives come together and intersect um, sort of in like a big little lies, I guess-ish way. Um, but so lucky. So there's a woman named Ruby um, who by all, you know, appears very slim, has a young child, appears to have it together, um, but suffers from a debilitating, or in her opinion, um, disease where her hair like grows back insanely long, like every day. And so or, you know, every few days, and she's almost like a wolf woman. So the the pain that she takes to cover herself up and her body up, and also how she um, interacts with her daughter and her ex-partner, um, and how she, you know, comes to terms with her body. Um, there's also um, uh, an Instagram girl, uh, influencer, her name's Lauren, um, and she, her wedding is sort of the catalyst that brings together Ruby and, um, what's the girl's name? Beth, who is a, uh, wedding planner who's working on Lauren's wedding. So Lauren's story is told primarily through Instagram posts, um, but again, and that's sort of a more 
on the nose, sort of, you know, what you see isn't always what you get and don't believe everything you see on social media because, of course, Lauren's husband is cheating on her. That's no surprise. Um, but whether or not the wedding actually happens, who knows? And how these women's lives all come together um, is great. And it's not like they all become best friends or like suddenly, you know, one murders the other's husband, everything's fine. But the way that they all kind of come to their own realizations of not everybody is perfect and everybody has their own shit that they're dealing with. And just because they don't advertise that and even if they do, it's like just – you know, you don't you don't always know what's going on in the other person's mind or life. And they're all just fun, multi-layered women. We get to know their direct inner thoughts and lives, and they're very rich. Um, as we'll talk about in the next novel, I feel like Dawn just has a really great way of creating these multi-dimensional women um, who I read again, I, I read so much um, that especially when I was younger, I read a lot of like women's lit fiction and I would be remiss to, but just because these are about women and written by women, I mean, it's just so, it's everyday life and women make up half of our lives. So we don't call, you know, men's fiction, like Michael Conley books, like that's a whole other rant. Um, but the other one by Dawn O'Porter is The Cows. Um, so this is another one about three women and friendship and the different ways that their lives intersect. Um, we have Stella, who is a young woman who is still um, reeling from the death of her twin sister who died from cancer. Um, Stella has some very complex emotions uh, surrounding that with grief, as naturally one does, but especially with this sort of mirror image twin and her own identity versus the identity of her uh, sister. Um, so that gets into some, some messy stuff. Um, she's one character... And then, uh, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> let me find the other ones. Um, then um, we have Camilla, who is a blogger, um, but she is, yes, now I'm, I'm like trying to remember. This was a week ago, so, you know, it's a little gonna wake up the old noggin. Um, Camilla is a blogger, so it also Dawn always, you know, makes the novels contemporary, including either like a blogger or an Instagram influencer um, to make that commentary because it's happening in society and it feels appropriate and doesn't feel like it was put in just to make a point. I mean, it is, but it also just helps further enrich the plot and the lives of the other characters. And it all culminates um, very nicely. And it's also um, a fun way to get to know these women um, in a different sort of writing style or perspective. Um, almost like a little bit of a collage. So Camilla's story is mostly told through her blog posts, um, but she does not want to have children. She is very adamant about that um, as sort of the anti-motherhood figure. Um, right. And then she comes um, into <laughs> Tara is an, the, our other character, and she is made famous because she is caught masturbating on a train after a drunken night uh, with a man that she meets at a bar. And she's not that kind. Of, she's not that kind of woman. You know, she's a single mom, frazzled. Like she's definitely not the kind of person who would normally be masturbating on a subway, but or uh, the tube. But sometimes you do what you got to do. And so the the shaming and the fallout of that, and how that all intersects, um, and so the power of the media and how we perceive women. It's all in there in a plot that um, reads really nicely. It's, I mean, uh, definitely more of like a, while it, these both deal with heavier topics, I mean, they're not beach reads, but they're not sort of, you know, murders and graphic violence. And it's just sort of what women do to each other on an everyday basis, which is kind of violent in itself, but in a different way. Um, and it's always fun, you know, to take a trip across the pond and see the little nuances of other cultures while still recognizing your own culture um so we're gonna pivot from like i said not graphic violence nothing dark um to a very dark but um very powerful and i love the, uh, the next book is called if you tell by greg olson it is a true crime um nonfiction book but i was about to say it's a true crime novel because it really does read like a novel um 
what is fascinating about this book. Um, so it's about the case of uh, Shelley, what's her last name? Again, Shelley Notek, um, and the murders of Catherine and Raymond um, and her young daughters and the abuse that they suffered. So I really had no idea about this case. Um, Shelley was an incredibly incredibly sadistic, complicated, violent young woman um, who had three daughters. And these three daughters are incredibly, incredibly resilient. And the fact that they've survived and it's a really heartbreaking, but powerful and empowering story. Um, So there's a lot to it. So Greg um, Olson has written both fiction and nonfiction crime novels or crime books before. Um, This one was just, again, fascinating because he really gets to talk to these three young girls who are now all young women um, and how they had vastly different but similar experiences with their mother and the horrible things that were happening behind closed doors that so many people didn't know about, even with information on this case now public. Um, Shelly and her partner, I think his name is Dan, um, took in two adults at different points in their lives and basically, like, made them their servants and brainwashed them, but through, like, very manipulative, coercive control. And the way that Olson writes all these stories, I mean, he brings to life these two victims who you learn about their lives from before they meet Shelley and they're at Timely End. You learn uh, what we don't quite get an answer for Shelley's violence and sadism. Um, it's almost seemed like it was ingrained in her from a very young age or she was born with it. Um, she becomes more of a person than just sort of a villain that you would read about in the timelines while no way justifying or, uh, you know, allowing her to feel remorse for any of her actions. Um, she very clearly knew what she was doing. And it just, again, it reads like a novel because we get to learn, again, I'm sure, you know, Olsen took some liberties, but clearly had the permission and the goodwill of the families to talk about these harrowing stories. And just because the three girls, you know, they did survive and they did come out, you know, physically unharmed and unscathed, the mental torture and torment and way that they have been able to pick up their lives and have the horrors that they live with is really crazy. Um, so it's dark, it's deep, it's not for the faint of heart, but for those who like true crime, for those who like just, you know, a more keep saying dark, but, um, you know, violent sort of true stories, but ultimately ones that have a somewhat happy ending and some matter of hope, um, while having a very cinematic feel without, I mean, in a way it's glorifying by telling their tale, but it's really glorifying the sisters, the three sisters on their names are Nikki, Sammy, and Tori, and like their accomplishments and their power and like reclaiming their own story as opposed to it being Shelley's story. Um, so I'm really excited to see what else he has. Um, I know I've read some of his other works. I know he's going to keep writing, but um, fantastic, fantastic uh, true crime book. And we're going to shift again to a different different perspective. We got all kinds of things in this one. Um, we have Hollow Kingdom by Kira Jane Buxton. Hollow Kingdom, again, is one of those back of my Kindle bought a year or so ago. Had really no idea what it was about, but I knew I bought it at some point, so I was into it at some point. Um, And it's one of those that is told by the perspectives of animals. It's compared to sort of like the secret life of pets meets an apocalypse. Um, So our main character is ST, which stands for Shit Turd. Um, Shit Turd is a domesticated crow. Um, He was raised by Big Jim, who kind of trained him to be like a human, so therefore... We get to experience ST Shitter's thoughts um, as if he were a human. And as a crow, he's somewhat more, you know, he's flying in the way that he can see everything. But Big Jim 
sort of loses an eyeball at the beginning. And while that's off-putting, um, it's indicative of a larger issue that the world is sort of – the humans have become zombies and they've become the animals and they have sort of lost all – Ability to think and be anything other than a zombie. And so S.T. Um, has a little renegade man with um, Big Jim's dog. And they go out and try to find what's wrong. And so what's great is interspersed throughout the novel are the perspectives of different animals um, throughout the world. So we learn very quickly that this is not just an insular, sort of like isolated one-town incident. That very clearly something is happening to the human race all over the world. And while they were the dominant species for quite a long time, um, animals have been thinking and living and plotting and living their own lives. And this is their time to shine. And um, ST, ST, I don't know why I have such a hard time saying that. ST, um, the crow, is a great, really just like funny, um, realistic narrator. I mean, he's a crow who very much knows he's a crow and understands his limitations, but also is trained to think like a human, um, naturally doesn't have a human body or the capabilities that humans have, but he's able to recognize so many things that uh, the lower intelligence or sort of lesser uh, the more naive, less exposed, uh, worldly exposed animals have. Um, so it's really, it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's funny. It deals with, you know, a darker sort of apocalyptic. We've you know, we're dealing with a pandemic. There's lots of apocalypses and, uh, you know, pandemic uh, sort of futuristic zombie things. But this one, I think, is a really interesting take on sort of what happens to the people who are not humans and do animals think and feel <clears throat> and what sort of makes somebody a cognizant, living, sentient member of the society. And will crows be part of society next? Probably not. Um, but who knows? And so this was kind of like a fun, weird, different book than what I normally read. Um wacky but like very well written cool story cool characters self-contained again a world that knows all of its rules um presents to you what it wants and doesn't leave you really it, it leaves you feeling satisfied and that's that's a good book and lastly we have the shame by mckenna goodman um this was one of those uh, just sort of like shorter again not a novella i think it was around 170 180 pages uh stream of consciousness slice of life like very beautifully written novel um so our main character alma grows up with her fam uh lives with her family in rural vermont and lives on not like a commune or a compound but is very clearly like hippie and living off the land and sort of you know eco-conscious and doesn't really subscribe to the rules of society and as we meet her she's actually fleeing her family and she's like i'm done i need to get to new york for this weird like babysitting job um and so through that we then learn in um her life you know in flashbacks we learn about how she became fascinated with this woman who she's seeming to want to leave her family for. Um, so there is a little bit more, again, of that social media commentary and sort of a, is what we see what we get? How do we, you know, perceive other people's lives behind closed doors and create these images of them in our heads that, and, you know, what if they can't meet, match those expectations? And I know that certainly happened to me. Um, it's, it's funny. It's witty. It's definitely, again, it's more of a stream of consciousness. Um, from a woman who's kind of just like fed up with her life and had too much. And so clearly, you know, this other woman, Celeste, is definitely a foil for her and represents everything that she hopes she could be and projects this perfect life. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's enough just to sort of look at Instagram and wonder what could be. Uh, not a lot of people kind of just like drop everything and try to go then find that person and not even, you know, with a um, – not even with like – What's, I can't, I'm literally like having like a moment where I can't think of a word. Um, a maleficent thought or a malficious, that's not a word. Is it? I don't know. 
uh, a bad thought, um, you know, no nefarious, that's the word, no nefarious thoughts, but just this sort of, like, fascination with, like, the person and the picture and the pixels on our screen, like, to see them in real life and to feel that sort of, like, is my life the same as yours? Um, so, I mean, it's not super plot-driven. It's definitely more of, like, you know, vignettes of this woman, you know, we are finding her as she's on the cusp of making a big um, change and potentially something, you know, that could go wrong and weird. Um, and we do see what plays out with that. So it does, again, doesn't leave us hanging too much, but it's sort of what happens after. And I'm, I, I would love to to meet Alma. I'd love to get to know her and talk to her because, uh, again, I highlighted and wrote down some quotes and thoughts. And again, those are taken on my phone, which I'm recording on, so I can't read them to you. And I literally did think about as I was taking a picture of this wonderful sentence that I was like, hmm, I would love to just share that just to give you sort of an idea of her writing, of McKenna Goodman's writing style and the beautiful thoughts and words that come on the page, but you'll have to read it for yourself. So without further ado, folks, another episode has come to a close. Um, I enjoyed talking to you about books. I hope you enjoyed listening to me. And until next time, stay reading. Bye. Bye.